We're looking together at Luke chapter 13. And if you have your Bibles, uh, you can read along. I'll be reading from the inspired ESV. Um, I think we also have it up here as well. Now he, that is Jesus. Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her. And immediately she was made straight and she glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, There are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, and not on the Sabbath. Then the Lord answered him, You hypocrites! Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water? And ought not this woman a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day. As he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the people rejoiced at the glorious things that were done by him. He said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden. And it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air made nests in its branches. And again he said, To what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. Again, Imagine for a minute being one of the disciples there. It was a Sabbath. And by this time, you've been with Jesus on multiple Sabbaths. And this Sabbath is not too unlike the other ones. It was customary for Jesus to go to the synagogue. If you didn't know, the synagogue was kind of like the community center, the hub there were many synagogues scattered throughout the region, throughout Israel. And by Jesus' time, they were growing in popularity and importance. Maybe even more important, some scholars would say, than the temple itself. As people in that community would gather on the Sabbath. What is Sabbath? What does it mean? It means to rest. You're a disciple. You're familiar with the Word of God. You've been traveling with Jesus. You know He loves to go to the synagogue to preach. And this time, there's a woman. She's bent over. Probably did not have a position of authority or influence. Hunkered down. The people probably knew her as well. But she wasn't, of course, the only one. Luke was there with you. Luke tells us that people were amazed at Jesus' teachings. Every Sabbath, Jesus would teach 
and people were amazed. This woman, she was healed. But the Pharisees weren't amazed. Something was going on. Something was going on inside their hearts that would compel them not to worship. You see, the woman worshiped after she was healed. But then the Pharisees, they had to interrupt what was taking place. It's a sad state of affairs because the ruler of the synagogue, you know what his job was? (laughs) It was to lead worship. He was in charge of this house. And then when worship was happening, what did he have to do? Stop! And that brings us to this, this text. So let's pray. Father God, I do pray that we would be open and transparent before you, that as we come to this text, we would be able to identify with the people in this text. I pray that the condition of our heart and the temptations within our mind would come to the surface so that you might do something with us. I pray that you would transform all of us, me included, more and more into the image of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. You're a disciple, right? You know these words. They're very familiar with them, the Ten Commandments. And it's the fourth command that says, Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your children, any kids in here? Your kids are not supposed to work. The male servant, the female servant, the maid servant, the stranger, the foreigner among you is not supposed to work on the Sabbath. That was the fourth commandment. It was to be kept holy. There's nothing wrong with obeying God's commands and obeying God's words. But there is something wrong when we put human achievement in front of God's laws. When we start praising what man can do and actually stop following what God commanded I would venture to say that when we get up in the morning, all of us would really put our mind and heart to a task where we would willfully be obedient to God's word. I think that all of us as believers would want to live a life that is pleasing to the Lord, but within us there exists a constant struggle to either follow God's plan throughout the day or to follow our own plan, to recognize God's achievements, or to want to lift up our own achievements. And that is the tension. Now, obedience to the law is a virtue. But when we we manipulate obedience of God's law into something that we can boast about, then this leads our hearts 
towards legalism. Legalism is a sin. Legalism is a dark disease that has plagued the church for centuries. It has existed probably as long as men and women have determined that they can build a case for their own worth by crowning their achievements. Legalism uh, probably crept into Jewish tradition sometime between the intertestamental period. You know, the, so there's, there was 400 years of silence between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And there was a group of people who followed the law, and they knew that the people of God had to obey the law. So they began to add to the law to keep the people of God from breaking the law. Little things at first, and maybe their intentions were good. You know, do this, don't do that, because we don't want you to break the Sabbath. But this began an opportunity, it created an opportunity for people to love their own ability to follow aspects of the law, their law, rather than God's word. Just for fun, just for kicks, I decided to go ahead and look up some of the laws of the Pharisees as they pertain to um, the Sabbath day. And I kind of had fun with it, and I was hoping that maybe you would enjoy some of this too. So they wrote out and they taught that you should not look in the mirror on the Sabbath day because you might be tempted to pluck out gray hair, and that would be reaping. Hmm. Okay. It was permissible to lead a donkey out of the stable on the Sabbath, provided that you put the harness and the saddle on the donkey the day before. Oh, that's kind of hard on the donkey, don't you think? Now, I might like this one. It was unlawful to move furniture on the Sabbath. However, you were allowed to move a ladder as long as you moved it less than five steps. Okay. Uh, this is uh, my favorite one, and we laughed about this one in seminary a lot. It was permissible to spit on a rock on the Sabbath. However, you were not allowed to spit on the ground because if you spat on the ground, well, then you could be making mud, and mud is mortar. And if you make mortar, well, then that's working on the Sabbath. Even worse, if you spat on the ground and there was a seed and it germinated, well, now you're sowing. And sowing was definitely not allowed on the Sabbath. We do the same thing. We really do. Um, and it's kind of fun. Some of the conversations that we have are kind of fun. The little traditions that we build you know, I was, I was actually talking to Larry this week um, about other things, and then it came up. It, it just came up in my mind. There was a gentleman, and he lived in Florida, and he said the King James Version is the only version that we should read from, because if Jesus read from it, then we should too. <laughs> what? <laughs> so we do the same thing. We build little lists, little rules, little things that elevate our stature and our worth. We can say, 
I read the King James Bible, and that is what God wants. What are we doing? We're really elevating our own accomplishments. Now, right now, I need to have a brief discussion before I go uh, too long into the sermon. We need to have a discussion about rules and laws. Some people will hear this message today and will leave and they will wonder if I will suggest that it is permissible to do everything and anything. No. We are not given full license to do anything that we want. Romans 6 says, Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we continue in sin? No. We have been put, our sin has been put to death in our flesh. We are not to continue in sin. So again, it gets back to what is God's law? And what is God's purpose for our lives? God's purpose for our lives is not measured in our ability to read from the King James or other things. God wants our heart to be completely given over to him. The second thing that I want to continue in this brief discussion about laws and rules is that it is perfectly fine for every good church to have their own specific rules and laws for order. It is. It's okay. If you go and visit a church and they have a sign that says on the door, uh, no soft drinks allowed, that's okay. <laughs> that's, that's not legalism. There's practical rules. They probably have a guy that cleans the carpet and he's only available one day a week. And if there's stains here and there and there, maybe there's ants. It's okay to have rules and order. In fact, as part of what God wants in the body is he wants order. But when we come into the congregation and we see that someone is carrying, let's say, that soda, then we're not to judge them for carrying that soda. That's not the heart of what should happen in the sanctuary. We should be a people that embodies grace. So let me say it again. Obedience to God's word is good and virtuous. Legalism, however, attempts to build a case for man's worth apart from Christ and is therefore opposed to God's values. Legalism denies human depravity and exalts human ability. Look what I can do. Legalism is opposed to God's kingdom and his church. Now, when I first uh, was reading this pericope that uh, Jordan asked me to preach from, I was looking at it, and I saw the text and how it talked about the woman, how she was healed, and Jesus' uh, discourse with the Pharisee. And then it got to the end, and Jesus was talking about the kingdom of God. And I was like, what is that there? Well, there was a connection, and it was therefore, and that connection said that this is God's value, God's kingdom values that are on display. Legalism is opposed to God's kingdom of values. 
Legalism will say that you ought, that's one of their favorite words, you ought to do this or you can't do that without regard to what is actually written in the Bible. Are you still not convinced that legalism is that bad? Consider with me for a second that it was legalists who conspired to hang Jesus on the cross. It was not murderers or adulterers. Legalism is a sin, and it's disruptive to the church. Just this week again, I was uh, talking to a woman. Um, it was uh, kind of an intimate time, the two of us, and uh, there was another person in the room. And she was telling me about the first time that she took her two young boys to church. And there was a smile on her face, and so I assumed that everything was okay. But, well, I'll give you the full story. Yes, I, I took my two boys to church for the first time. We got up early, we got dressed, we made it there, and I didn't really know what was going on. This is her telling me the story, recounting it. I didn't really always know what to do. The pastor would tell us, and it might have been a priest actually, when to stand and when to sit, and I knew that we were praying, so I stood and everybody stood, and, and I closed my eyes when we were praying, and then when I opened my eyes, my kids, my two boys, were up front with the, probably a priest, were up front with the priest looking at him at the steps. I was horrified. And then she said, the older woman who was sitting in front of her turned around, gave her scorn, and said, Young mothers are supposed to keep their eyes open whenever we pray here. Is that what it says? Is that what the, is that what the spirit of the law is? How different are we supposed to be on Sunday morning? This is the place where grace abounds. How different would it have been if instead the, other, the older woman turned and offered words of grace? What would you do? I was going to put some words out there, but what would you do? What if someone came in today and was very different than all of us? I was praying that one of my coworkers was uh, going to come today. She told me that she was planning on it. Um, she's, in, she's a little bit older than me. Her husband passed. Um, she lives on a farm. She doesn't live in a suburban area. She is, I think, a beautiful person. But will she feel comfortable if this was her first time? What would we say? Invite her out to lunch. We'll have opportunities for grace every Sabbath that we come together, whether we know it or not. It's always difficult in the moment to know what to do or what you should not do. People are always saying you ought to do this or you can't do that. And sometimes they're correct. 
But legalism itself divides people. It destroys the opportunity for grace to be observed. In seminary, I loved hearing Dr. Chapel preach. Um, a brilliant man, a wonderful orator. Um, he could preach a good sermon. He told us uh, one time when we, when we had an extra five minutes at the end of class, he told us about um, one man that would come into his congregation every Sunday. And he would sit um, against the wall, the same spot against the wall every Sunday morning. And during the week, he would know where that man was going to sit on Sunday morning because there was a spot on the wall. And as Dr. Chapel was telling the story, the spot on the wall was because he would come in, he would sit down, he'd put his head against the wall, <laughs> and he would fall asleep during Ch Dr. Chapel's sermons, which I couldn't believe, but he would fall asleep. There were legalists in our seminary class that were eager to raise their hand and they said, Dr. Chapel, Dr. Chapel, what did you do to correct him? And his heart melted. Dr. Chapel, full of grace, said, He was my sheep. I spent time with him. I went to his house. He came to mine. I loved him. I was glad that he was there. That's grace. Grace opportunities exist on the Sabbath and throughout the week. A legalist will not appeal to grace, but rather they will employ shame. They'll employ gossip to move others to follow, follow a particular code of conduct. Legalists will appear pious, self-righteous, as they use their own measuring stick to measure themselves and others. And they feel no shame in telling you how things ought to be done. When I was a young man in ministry, I prayed a prayer in front of a group of people, and then this leader uh, came up. And he, he wasn't a pastor, but he was a leader. He came up. When everybody left, and he said, uh, Dean, uh, you really should not be praying that way. I was mortified. Now I was like caught with this sense of tension. What? I don't want to pray wrong in a group. You know what that does? Now you don't feel like praying as much. Moms, dads, our kids are not going to say the right prayers. They're not going to get it right, and that's okay. It really is. God is gracious to us when we don't pray as we ought, when we pray and ask for the wrong things. Um, a little embarrassed to say that, uh, okay, I'll just say it. I have, in my lifetime, prayed that I would win the lottery. Well, it ain't going to happen because God loves me too much. And it probably reveals more of a condition of my broken nature than anything else. 
that God doesn't stop listening to me or tell me that I'm wrong. Instead, he works with me in my brokenness and brings me along gracefully. Legalists will not appeal to grace. Looking back at the passage again, did you see how or did you notice how the ruler of the synagogue employed a legalistic strategy to maintain his own self-worth? Verse 14 again, but the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, there are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed and not on the Sabbath. The irony is thick in this passage. The ruler of the synagogue, he was a teacher, had a beef with Jesus, and yet he addressed the woman and the people. He wasn't addressing Jesus. He was addressing the people with his own legalism to maintain his authority, his pious ability to control what was taking place. The ruler and teacher was trying to twist Scripture for his benefit. But there in his midst was the living word, the living logos, the living word, the fulfillment of all Scripture before him. And he didn't see it. I mentioned earlier that there exists this constant struggle to either follow God's plan or our own plan. A struggle to acknowledge God's achievements or our own achievements. That tension is on display in this passage. As a leader of the synagogue is more interested in protecting his own traditions and his position in the community than in seeing the grace of God at work in the life of this woman. The legalist would have you believe that the primary issue in this passage was that Jesus was working on the Sabbath. But how far from the truth? The primary issue, issue in this passage was that this woman was held in spiritual bondage for 18 years. Thankfully, Jesus' mercy and compassion were extended to this woman, and the woman was set free from the spiritual bondage. It's not a leap for me to suggest that more than this woman, more than the suffering effect that was upon this woman, more than the crippling effect that kept her hunched over for years and years, there was another form of spiritual bondage taking place the spiritual bondage upon this community due to the legalism of the Pharisees. What was taking place in the life of this woman was something that was physically manifest by her hunched over and not able to stand up fully and erect to function normally with a sense of freedom. But because of the legalism that was taking place with the Pharisees and the ruler of the synagogue, now the community was under the same oppression. You ought not, you shall not, you can't, because of the words of a man. That's what legalism does. It impacted more than this woman. It impacted 
this community. But praise be to God that Jesus Christ had a plan. <laughs> Was there work involved when he called her over? <laughs> I just She didn't go there to do work. Jesus called her over. He saw her condition, but also the condition of the community. By his words, by his touch, he made her whole. She was able to stand up again. And being released from that spiritual bondage, what did she do next? Praise God. She worshiped. Her heart was glad. No longer was she living under the oppression, the bondage, <laughs> the legalism. God's plan, Jesus was there not just to free this woman, but to usher in the kingdom of God. That's why the other verses about the mustard seed that grows into the tree, Jesus was there to usher in the kingdom of God for this whole community. And so it was. When Jesus died on the cross, he thwarted the devil's plans. And when he was buried, and resurrected on the third day, Jesus defeated death itself. You and I are free. Free from that spiritual bondage. The difficulty is this, that we still live in the tension. We live in a world that is already, but not quite yet, Already, because Jesus' work has already been done. Our guilt, our shame is gone. But ah, there's this tension because we have not yet fully been able to adopt God's plan every morning, every day. We may start off the day wanting it to happen, but we just haven't quite made it there yet. So this passage actually gives us a sense of encouragement and hope. I uh, found myself thinking about these three groups, really. Uh, the woman or anyone who was suffering. I found myself thinking about the disciples who were witnessing all this because by what they were witnessing, Jesus was preparing them for the day that he would leave them. And they had to go and be involved in the advancement of the kingdom of God. I was also thinking about the Pharisees, the ruler of, the t of, of this, um, sorry, just thinking temple. But it wasn't the temple. So we had these three groups of people and each one of them had an encounter with Christ. And that's where we are at this morning. It'd be really easy for us to uh, button things up and say, um, and next Sunday, invite someone to be here because we all need uh, to be touched by Christ. Well, yeah, but it's deeper than that. Throughout the week, we want to embody a sense of God's grace wherever we go. Parents, 
Do not hold your children to legalism. And when they fail, be gracious, love them, draw them back in. When you fail, and you will, I do. That's my daughter. When you fail, say you're sorry. Show them how to apologize and be genuine in your sense of repentance. I feel for anyone here that may have temptation towards legalism. I think all of us do it. I don't think any one of us can escape legalism. Pastors do it all the time. Church leaders do it all the time. So I don't think anybody escapes it. But for those of you who maybe you keep lists in your head or maybe you're, you just think logically in a way that, you know, better, ought to, or good, or I have family members that are really good at that, and that's important, but when it comes to the word and being judged by men, it, it's divisive, and it is sin if you're not looking at the truth within Scripture. If that's your tendency, know it's okay. Know that the Lord loves you. Know that the Lord calls you his own and invites you into his purposes. And if you should ever fall into that trap of legalism, know it's okay. There is a way out. Pastor Jordan will still love you. I will still love you too. And I hope that you love me too when I fall into that trap of legalism. If you came this morning identifying more with the woman, know that Jesus' touch is still active today. We don't talk about it often. But that healing touch was made effectual not only for the woman, but for the community of believers that were a part of Israel, but also this community here. Call out to Christ. And that was my prayer for myself this week. Lord Jesus, I need you now. I need you to help me care for this body here better. I need you to help me be a better chaplain with people who are dying. Lord Jesus, I need your touch. But we're all called to be disciples as well. A disciple is a follower one who follows Jesus' teachings. So this week, go, therefore, make disciples, be gracious. Let's pray.